Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Options Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry Edwards is, as I say most weeks now, off building the portal, which is really quite astonishing how many things the portal can do now. Soundhealthportal.com. And I'm not sure what campaigns they're running right now, but a campaign means that you can go to soundhealthportal.com, click on services, and then click on campaigns. And a campaign is something where you can do it for free. And you can sign up for a free account just by giving them your email address, and that's really about it. And record two 45-second recordings, which you do right on the computer, preferably using a mic if possible just to get a little better audio quality. And then you can pick one of the campaigns, such as BioDiet. I'm not sure what's active now because they changed them. BioDiet has been there, PTSD, I'm trying to think of that. Well, golf. I know golf sounds like, really, golf? But you could really, I've seen it happen, where you can actually talk about your golf game and, and see imbalances in your musculature and what may, may not be working or is too tight or too loose or not necessarily directly exercises, but just micronutrients you might need to improve how your body functions when you're doing a golf swing, and that could be true of many sports. Golf just happens to be one of them. So you can choose one of those, like the bio diet or allergies, and submit that and get a report back for free in about 2 to 12 hours with an amazing amount of information. And every week, when Sher- as Sherry continues to build out the portal, it's amazing how much more information appears. And also, I believe it's this t- coming Tuesday that she's going to be doing a live demonstration of the potential muscle loss from using statins. Those are my words. And uh, that'll be on Tuesday afternoon. You can, you can find out more about that at soundhealthoptions.com and click on the radio tab and then click on, I believe, happy hour, and you'll see the information there. And it's free. That one is actually a live demo, so you can join us on WebEx, and you'll be able to actually see Sherry take somebody through the workup and see the amount of information. It's really it's amazing. And the fact that it's online now is really wonderful. It used to be only limited to using it on a computer and you had to load software and it was really a thing. Now it's available all, all online, which I think is really quite amazing. You can also go there and use the Nano Voice for free, always free. Sherry's been giving this software away for a long time. And I use it quite a bit when I want to look at a supplement or let's say a supplement or possibly a food that I might have an allergy to. And what you do is you do a 40-second recording, and you have that, and then I eat the supplement that I want to add. And then I go back about 20 to 30 minutes later and do another nano voice recording. And then I compare the two, and it does give you a written report with different kinds of information than the full portal report. But you can look at the analysis, the, the waveform analysis. It actually runs that through software so you end up with points and a chart. And you can look at that and see if that supplement has caused something to go up or way spike or go way down, or you can see if the supplement or the food has created a drastic change in your vocal print. And it's really handy. I use it quite often for that. The, having the soundhealthportal.com available is amazing. It's a great, great thing. Now with that, this is the point at which I say, this is one of those shows you're going to hear again. Victoria Barrios' work with Food is Fuel is how I'll call it, and her passion for that is really quite extraordinary. And the journey which she went through to get here or there, the great story. You may want to hear this again or send this on to friends. And you can do that by about 15 minutes after I end the show here. You'll be able to go to soundhealthoptions.com. Again, click on the radio tab, and this time click on Sound Health Radio. And the replay link back to the show page and show notes will be there. And or you can go to any of your podcast aggregators, meaning iTunes or Pocket Cast or Dogcatcher or Google Podcasts, which is cross-platform, can be used on iOS or Android or on your desktop. And you can search for either Talk to me, guy, all one word, or Sherry Edwards, 
and you'll find about four or 500 hours of shows that we've done. And this is one of those shows. Uh, Google Podcasts is really handy because it's easy to share the show with others after you've listened to it. It has tabs right there to be able to share the show. And there's a lot of really great information in talking to Victoria from studying her work and really good health information. And with that, Victoria Barrios was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome in second grade. She never realized food would play such a crucial role in managing and healing the disorder. Not only did she learn to overcome her tics through nutrition, she was able to figure out exactly which foods help her and which ones harm her. By identifying her food triggers and avoiding those, she's not only functioning but thriving in life. In fact, she attended NYU for music business, ran her own allergy-friendly mobile bakery in Guatemala, is an accomplished plant-based endurance athlete, and currently works as a transformational lifestyle coach, corporate wellness consultant, sports nutritionist, athletic trainer, and public speaker. Her main goal is to empower people to take control of their own health in a way that fits their unique lifestyle without feeling limited or overwhelmed. As an expert in nutritional solutions, Victoria wants to share with you the common food changes that will perform miracles in your health, memory, and vitality. Victoria's personal mission is to remove the word diet from everyone's vocabulary. Welcome, Victoria. Hey, thanks for having me. I really do love that, that you want to remove the word diet from everyone's vocabulary. I think that's such a great passion because I'm so tired of hearing people talk about, I'm on this diet or that diet or this thing or that thing. It's, it's life. It's life. That's what this is. It's not a diet. It's life. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no, I I couldn't agree with you more on that 100%. I really agree. <laughs> um, I want to start at a slightly midpoint, but this will develop us into where we're going. What does the brain-gut connection mean to you? Yeah, that's a really great question. For me, it's funny because I'll take it back to the fact that I don't know, you've seen this happen recently, like the, with the brain-gut connection and the brain-gut act and all this stuff that we're seeing cropping up in the alternative wellness industry, right, to where we're seeing like this explosion of everything connected to your gut. And for me, it's it's about like the symbiotic relationship rather to where, where it's like one feeds off the other and one can't survive or function well without the other. And I think for too long, we've consistently looked at the gut and brain as separate entities versus realizing that like we're one, our body is one unit, right? And everything's connected. So for <laughs> me, I feel like I mean, maybe that's oversimplification, but I feel like, and from what the science shows is that speak about it, like the, all that bacteria that's in your gut, of course your brain's going to respond to it because your brain tells your body how to respond to everything that you're exposed to, no matter if it's food, your emotions, your, you know what I mean? And so for me, um, they influence each other consistently. They're constantly communicating. And so I, I don't know if that explains it, but for me, that it's kind of like they are continuously connected and we can't we can't look at just one or the other. Well, and it's funny that people have it such a disconnect from it because people talk about feeling something in the pit of their stomach, mm. but they don't, they just think it's like out of a horror movie or I hate to pick on that. That's just what popped into my mind. They think it's like something <laughs> other than, no, you really do. Have, I mean, there's a whole world in your digestive system and we are a system. We're mm -hmm. not a, there's this weird disconnect that I think people have from not only ourselves, but the planet that we really are a some, we're a symbolic in relationship and our bodies are, I think it's a miracle every day that we just get up and put one foot down. When you think about how many things have to happen for that to occur. Yeah. And the gut is the like almost, I think the captain of the team in a certain way, almost more than the brain. Cause the right. gut is so, Amazing. I'm a big fan of the gut. 
Yeah, um, two. <laughs> I know from your work. It's amazing. <laughs> and how did you, because of the, well, well, let's jump to, I'm going to jump now to talking about the Tourette's. When did you find out or were you diagnosed and did you go through all that with the Tourette's and how did that, because that's kind of the beginning of the evolution of the, the passion for food when you figure, began to figure things out. How did that, when did that occur? At which point? When did, when did the discovery occur that it was connected to um, nutrition? No, no, no. When did your discovery of the Tourette's, when did, were you diagnosed with Tourette's or was it something that was obvious as a child? That's what I mean. Did they, did yeah, you have con- something going on as a child and they had to figure it out? That's what I'm yeah, looking for. That part. Yeah. So it was around second grade, like age seven or eight when I was, I was incredibly distracting, I would say in class, but I did not have, I wasn't really close to what was going on. Um, and so I was in a small private school that I actually attended from age 5 to 18, and um, it was very uncomfortable to those who knew me, and so they, they started to, to realize that, hey, there's something going on with her that is out of the norm, and so um, long story short is I was pulled out of the class. Um, I was taken to um, a neurologist who basically just said, yes, that she has what we call a phobic disorder. It's been persistent for X number of months. I don't know if this was a year back then, um, but it is now for them to clinically diagnose as having that. And um, I, my only option was, you know, let's take medication. So yeah, it, it was diagnosed, but beyond that, just typical written diagnosis, we didn't ever continue in the conventional world to try to figure out the next either and when your parents found this out were they were your parents nutritionally oriented or food oriented or did you that did that sort of evolve in yourself how did the how did your passion for food and how did you begin to figure out that foods could be a trigger for you because that's I, I I don't feel that would be a standard operating procedure in the western medicine paradigm you're absolutely right. I mean, this is 20 years ago, too, we're talking about it, and there's still all of these questions surrounding, making, I'm sure you know, right? Like, they, there's so many people that, well, we make the connect between food and neurological conditions. I don't know why we're starting to finally connect the two, but um, for me, it was my, so my dad raised me, and my dad just did a bunch of research trying to figure out what can I do, right, to help her. It's got to be connected. If it's neurological, it's got to be, like, how do we give her things that are going to enhance her neurological function? And honestly, he came across um, Latitudes, and that's Sheila Rogers-DeMar, who I love, and she was on one of my series earlier this year. But um, he was funny. He went down this road of giving me supplements like crazy and all of my food, and then um, which were terrible, by the way. Like they, I wouldn't swallow them, so he'd mash them up in like bananas and tortillas. And it was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. But <laughs> um, so we did that, and and then the other component of it was he really took a deep dive into what foods could just be, I think at this point when we've had this discussion, like overstimulating and just can cause you to kind of have any sort of behavioral reaction. And so for him, all he really removed from my diet was anything artificial, anything artificial, anything processed, and then sugar and caffeine. Um, Really, that was, those were the main things. But yeah, kind of to, to go back to your question and answer it more directly, um, when I was about, goodness, I would say middle school or even the very early stages of high school, um, I struggled with depression, and I didn't realize the depression and anxiety were symptoms or they were very common. It's, I mean, over 50% of people that have Tourette's syndrome or a co-occurring condition have, or sorry, have similar conditions, have co-occurring conditions. And I didn't realize that there was a connection. So for me, I did a lot more research to figure out, like, 
what else could support me mentally and emotionally. Um, that was from a pretty young age, right? And so I started to, to take to figuring that out on my own, and then it just grew from there. Hmm. And when mm-hmm. you get, I want to back up to the Tourette's for a minute. I know Go we use the word, and I think we have a an idea mostly from TV and, you know, cinema and that kind of stuff. But, I mean, we have an idea. But when when they say that you have Tourette's, what is that? does that actually give you a diagnosis? Is it a structural issue? Is it a neural pathway issue? Is it a do – they, do they actually know what it is, or is it just a condition that they call that? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's literally it's, – it's what they've, I feel like, slapped a label onto people who yeah. – have um it, it's like if you have involuntary moves right tick or vocalizations or it's it, a lot of times it's it's just impulsive involuntary response whether that is verbal or a physical movement but yeah i don't really understand like why this is and i've done in all my investigative research and all the people that i've interviewed trying to understand why they say just tick disorder versus tourette Syndrome. And I believe that it goes back to the fact of whether it's consistent and prolonged versus just randomly having ticks go up um, out of the blue maybe once or, t- once or twice a year. And so when you have Tourette syndrome, it's it's constant. So like for me in my state, it was so severe to where I was like chirping in class all the time or tapping the table or blinking or looking up or some combination of those, it was incessant. So that's how I received the diagnosis, rather. And they don't – so they have – they don't even think about diet. I, I I know you talked about that, but it really blows my mind that they don't think about that as a potential trigger. But that's true of so many conditions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was just a random thought in my mind, like, oh, my God, they just don't think that that could be an issue, like maybe suggesting maybe you could try putting the child on an organic diet. Let's start there. What a shocking idea. Oh, my God. Food is fuel. How's that work? I know. Western medicine medicine is so weird. It's just so weird. They know so much and know so little. It always amazes me. That's just my opinion. I like to say that so they don't have to get pissed off. Um, Yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say that, you know, and here you are on your own. How did you, do you remember the first moment when you had an aha that food could be a trigger for you? Yeah. Um, so my biggest aha was around the age of 18, actually, because I started making discoveries when I was younger. But I grew up thinking that the way that I ate was normal because I started I ate such a whole food diet from the age of eight, right? So I don't remember much be, before that. Um, but um, my home moment in school, I remember a couple of them was whenever there was one specific time, actually two specific times where I had energy drinks in high school. And wow. for me, it took me, I don't know, it, I, it made me crazy. Like I started to sweat. I literally remember grabbing a, a hula hoop in my friend's house. My dog, I need to put her up. She's making noise. I hear her. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I remember grabbing a hula hoop and really hula hooping at my friend's house. Like I was cracked out on drugs and no one else having this response or reaction. And, and I, looking back, I realized that because of the way I was logically compromised rather or my immune system was even compromised um i was not processing or metabolizing that caffeine um the way that i should have been and then i would not be able to focus and my tics weren't wild like they were as a as a child but i would have certain ones start to come back and it's like this is really odd you know and i i just that's how i started to put two two together i was like okay anything stimulating is probably something I should stay away from. Um, and then college was kind of my biggest aha um, when I went to see a naturopathic doctor and I hadn't seen one before and I was telling her of, although my tics, like I said this before, but they had 
reduced by over 90%. Um, I still struggled with the mental side of things, right? The anxiety, depression, the, um, all of that. And for me, I didn't realize how connected that was to food until she and I started to do really intense elimination diets. And I would do a lot of research to try to understand how food directly impacted the brain. And so that was kind of my largest, my biggest aha moment was age 18, I think. Mm-hmm. And when, yeah. when, I, I, when I think about energy drinks, energy drinks often have some kind of, I don't know why, they seem to have some kind of creepy color to them. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're green or they're orange or they're red or they're, I haven't done many energy drinks, but I watch people slam them down on a regular basis. And I bet it was, you know, that could also be the trigger of any of the additives in the food, in the drink that could yeah. cause all sorts of weird reactions because your body's already hypersensitive. Mm-hmm. And then to toss that in there is like, wow, what is that? I have no place to put that. Um, yes. So that. yes. Yeah, you're right. And that's one point I forgot to, to mention that the artificial, I mean, just it's just the chemical part, but the, the artificial colors and preservatives that should never be in the first place. But because when you're more compromised, your body's like, what the heck? I don't know how to process this. And so, I mean, that's why I believe ADHD completely rampant and all the foods that we have in the United States that have all these additives that are allowed versus in like in Europe, right? The European Union, the the hundreds, if not thousands of chemical additives that are banned versus in the United States, there's like a blind eye turn to them. For me, that is terrifying. Yeah, I'll just take a deep breath and we'll move along. I could get on my, <laughs> you know, soapbox and be ranting in any given moment. <laughs> I would really like to. I really want to, though. It just it <laughs> blows my mind how, oh, yeah, we'll just move along. Uh, it's horrifying. <laughs> I'll go with you. It's just horrifying that this is okay. It just mm-hmm. blows my mind. Um, and, and also, I, I suspect that the reaction, the, the coming down from food that you reacted to would contribute to the depression because you have that mood swing thing, hormonal cascade, weird ca- hormonal cascades from being jacked and then mm-hmm. crashing and just everything else. So you have this weird balancing act. And as you, as you got into the doing the food challenging and in the work with a naturopathic doctor, did that give you more clues and more information and did things begin to smooth out? Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, by doing own deep work, rather a lot of homework, a lot of guesswork, a lot of trial and error. Um, I turned my, the first one I can just share was completely eliminating dairy from my diet. And I don't want to demonize food groups. I think that that's also a negative that's gone on even in, the alternative medicine is that we tend to demonize like, oh, it's gluten-free and dairy-free. That's how it should be. That's, I don't agree with either, but anyways, I digress. So I, when I was doing this, I ended up going from organic, which is what I was doing in high school. I had all organic everything and I was still doing organic dairy, but it wasn't like raw. It, It had still been pasteurized and homogenized so really all the beneficial stuff was I would like to say (laughs) nuked out of it rather (laughs) Um, and (laughs) and so I didn't realize that though you know I was super ignorant I was like oh it's organic that means it's great and uh, lo and behold I switched from low fat organic to full fat organic to to then going to raw cow's milk then going to um, a local raw goat's milk and then cutting out milk altogether and trying to just do um, like certain cheeses that were not cow based that were, you know, goat or sheep, nothing like Richard, nothing worked for me. Um, I was mm. still having these interesting reactions and it wasn't just like mental brain fog and depression. It was, um, I had a lot of skin issues. And so um, by removing that within two weeks, like my clarity improved, my um, skin dra- dra- dramatically 
definitely improved to where I no longer needed to wear foundation, like makeup on my face to feel comfortable in public. It was just crazy. And so that for me was something that shifted everything because I didn't realize how much it was contributing to just the ability to focus at university. Wow. So no, Mm -hmm. so you can't do any dairy. You know, um, as I've gone through all of this and this past year, I've really been um, trying to be more positive and shift things and, and not believe that I won't be able to have things forever. And so I've been trying to do reintroductions of certain things. And so um, I will do in our house, we do ghee, right? So like okay. clarified clarified butter, which takes the protein out, which is a lot of times what causes reactions to, to people in the first place. And right. um, so for me, I tolerate that quite well. Um, so yeah, that's to answer your question. Well, it's, it's perfect that you had, you were answering my question before I even asked it, because that was the first time I was going to ask about was ghee, because it's a pretty clean, it's a great fat. Mm-hmm. And once you get rid of the protein out of it, it's a great fat. I mean, you know, right. Fat is good. That is, yeah. we need fat. Yeah. Um, and so as you become more stabilized, when did the, as, as you're progressing along, when did the moving into being a sports nutritionist, was that just sort of an evolution of you were already, you were already a sports nutritionist. It's just that you weren't certified because you had to, you dialed your life in as a sports nutritionist in terms of figuring out your own path. <laughs> How did that, did that just like one day you went, wait, I am a sports nutritionist. What am I doing? How did that happen? (laughs) No, that's a good, yeah, it's a funny way to phrase it, but you're right. I, I guess, um, because my life was so, that was my life, you know, I I had discovered all these things, not realizing that there was a career that I could, um, help others start to really understand their, I like to say their identity and, and, and figure out how to, and be empowered, right, through through not just food, life in general. And so for me, um, I guess it was me being at NYU for music business, which I loved. I loved NYU. I loved the music industry. Um, I had a lot of fun. But I just, I just knew it wasn't for me because who in the right mind between age 18 to 22 wants to wake up at 4 a.m go bake in a bakery and learn and learn how to use alternative ingredients. That's, that's what I did. Like on my weekends, I didn't need to, I had college was paid for. I just loved it so much. And so that was my jump off point to where I knew, wow, like there's all these kids for, it was really cool because I worked at a a bakery called baby cakes in New York city by Aaron McKenna. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's like the first of its kind. I'm sure you know having those, having, she has a couple of California. And um, anyways, I was like, wow, there's people that have all of these intolerances or whether it was like religious belief, right? If it was kosher, like they could come in this bakery and not have to worry, not have to question. Um, maybe it was the first time a child had a cupcake ever. And so I was fascinated by that. And so for me, I was like, how can I turn this passion into a reality? And then I tied that into, I was already doing endurance running. And I, so I tied that passion into making allergy friendly, not only possible, but fun. Like I think a lot of times there's so much fear tied to living an allergy friendly life. Um, and then really helping people like that. I got into that niche. I was like, okay, if I'm a runner and I love allergy friendly baking, um, and putting things together to make this possible. How can I help other people that are just like me? Because I know there are um, figure this out on their own, right? And so that's that's kind of how it all came together. Well, and I, I'm laughing quite loud off mic. I had to mute myself for a moment because um, I don't <laughs> think we I don't know that we talked about this. I was a chef for 20 years. No. And, wow. And, and so on and off, I could never do it for more than about five years at a time because you go mad because you have no life. I mean, you truly have no life because you talk about I, I one of the restaurants I worked in by seven in the morning. I'd already rolled out the sourdough French bread and the brioche and made brioche bread and made. And I always thought bakers were just crazy. 
because they're up before they're literally up before the chickens. I mean, they're even the chickens are like, what are we doing up? You know, it's just it's madness to be a baker. It's just madness. You have to be a possessed artist. And so does that. But the other thing is, I always as somebody who cooked in a number of locations, different styles of cuisine, I always found it challenging in a good way to have somebody come in who say they had dietary restrictions. Because I mm. thought it was really interesting. I did, there are a lot of chefs, well, I'll take the lot away. I'll just say there are chefs who kind of like want to punish the vegetarian by making a mean, what I call a mean, you know, vegetable plate. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah. like, you, you've had that served to you probably, a mean vegetable plate. It's just like, really? What's this? <laughs> this is like nothing. And I always, yeah. thought, I, always, I always thought it was really fun to be challenged, maybe not on a Saturday night at 8 o'clock, but overall sure. interesting to come up with food that had, you can't use this, there is no gluten, you can't, because I thought it was interesting, because I still wanted to give that person a rich taste visual experience. Mm. And so I always I enjoyed that. that. I always found that challenging. I liked that. I didn't want it every day, but I, I enjoyed it when it occurred. Um, yeah. So. I, I relate to that part of being a possessed, you know, have an idea because I would work a maybe a 12 hour shift, which is kind of typical if you're a chef running a kitchen. Yeah. And then I would go home and work on something that I was baking to try to develop. I had a bread idea or a cookie idea or a dessert idea to make something that was gluten free because I thought it was interesting to try it. Right. So right. I know that possessed part of it. It's a thing like people are looking at you like, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? I don't want to taste another cookie. I hate that cookie. Or, you know, so yeah, possessed bakers. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, I was just going to say, it brings me back to so many memories because um, I, my poor family has been the brunt of me doing that, you know, year after year, <laughs> holiday after holiday, you know, try these black bean brownies. And I'm like, if I just hadn't said those words, they would probably eat them, you know, Yeah. <laughs> but you ruin it by giving them the image. Yeah. Yeah. Taste this seitan. Would you taste this seitan? What do you think of it? Is it too chewy? Is it the thing? I just spent an hour making this in the kitchen. What do you think about it? How do you do? You like the day? And they just look at you like, no, not something. Couldn't we just have like mac and cheese? Do you have to do this to it? I know. I've I've had that exact same look. Like, oh no, he's got something new. I mean, when you're working on a cookie recipe that's like, you know, just a sort of a standard cookie, which I've also done to to perfect a perfect way the cookie breaks or something. So I've worked at that as well. And they're excited about those. Good cookies. Right. Yeah. But Satan and, you know, finding gluten substitutes are always a little like, really? I don't want to. I can't. I hate Tastes it. Like cardboard. Even just knowing. Yes, exactly. A lot of cardboard. <laughs> Quinoa, what? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky world. It's a very, you're a food artist, you know, and it's, it's a tricky thing to be a food artist. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have to ask about the... <laughs> The mobile bakery in Guatemala. What? Yes. What? <laughs> what is that? that was, How did that happen? One of my multiple ventures. My family, no, I'll, I retract that. My dad and I are both entrepreneurs. That is what we do. We have both had crazy wild ideas that we've taken and run, ran with, and they start to come to fruition, and then we'll pull back on 99% of them, but at least I try, right? <laughs> so, um <laughs> Um, the mobile bakery came out of the fact that, like, I was in New York City, and I'm sure you can relate to just, you know, it's, it's kind of like being a chef. You're, you just get burnt out. And so being in New York City, I was there five years. I was done. I, I needed to leave. And so um, my dad actually had a food truck that he started in Austin, Texas where I'm from originally. And the plan was for me to come back and take over that food truck, to grow the business. Well, long story short is that the land that we had the food truck on. And if you like, for people that don't know, Austin is super famous for the food truck culture. And yeah. it was, yeah, and it had, it was a really niche thing like a decade ago. And now it's so much that it's oversaturated, but um, we had one in a prime location and that location, they, they decided to put a building on. And so we had to go eight months without a hot 
spot. And because of that, I, I had quit my job and I had come down for this. And <laughs> so then there was no next step. Like we were dry for eight months. And so because of that, I am, my dad as an entrepreneur adventurer that he is moved to Guatemala because he wanted to take Spanish and learn how to speak Spanish. And I grew up speaking Spanish because I loved it. So I ended up saying, you know what, I'll go with you because the food truck thing didn't work out. Um, I ended up going with him and I ended up staying there. I taught English. I started a boot company to where I handcrafted boots and sold a bunch of online. And then I, and on my free time, baking. And because Guatemala City is, um, very stratified and in relation like this there's a lot of socioeconomic divides right you have the very wealthy and then the very poor and even though there's i believe if i'm not wrong i should look up the statistics but i believe there's over 15 million surrounding surrounding areas of the capital and including the capital and um even though it's that large like the wealthiest of the wealthy all know each other and Mm -hmm. (laughs) because yeah, because eating allergy friendly is unfortunately there a it's it's not really a concept that has taken off until recently. Um, I wanted to bring that, and it just turned out that my market ended up being people that had influence or people that had money, even if I you know that wasn't my intention. But that's kind of how it started, which was actually great though because it allowed me to. I, it was a lot of word of mouth and it allowed me to really just dive head first and use local ingredients um, and just create all of these special treats for if it was a restaurant or like a certain type of um, bakery that didn't carry, um, you know, dairy-free treats or it was for somebody's um, birthday party that needed an egg-free treat too. It just kind of snowballed like that. And um, that's that's all kind of how it came into to play. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slightly hung up on the food truck because I've I've I tell people today who still wish I would be cooking again that if I won the lottery I'd have a food truck because oh, I really? love the idea. Well, I love the idea of not being in a fixed restaurant. Yeah. Because yeah, I just so think you work you. Uh, this is a whole separate show. Sometime we'll do a whole show talking about cooking. Um, <laughs> That you really, I mean, if you're a food artist, it's what you, you really do love doing it. Yeah. People think it's about making the money and really it's not because there aren't there for the amount of uh, Anthony Bourdain's or, you know, famous chefs who make a bazillion dollars a year. There's at least a hundred million chefs who are making minimum wage. Mm-hmm. So really you, if you're possessed doing it, it's really best to really enjoy the atmosphere. And I just think, you're going to work really hard with a food truck. You bust your butt, mm-hmm. and then you park it someplace until the next gig. You don't have to get up the next morning and do it again and do it again and do it again. And mm-hmm. I just think that's a, I think the mobility, everything that you talk about, it makes it sound great to me. To a lot of people, it's like, what? What a crazy thing to do. <laughs> Why would you do sounds that? Sounds awesome. <laughs> sounds awesome. <laughs> sounds totally like perfect. And, and speaking Spanish while doing it, that's, that's totally like, you know, that's awesome. Um, that's a whole other show. Yes. (laughs) And I want to jump back uh, for a moment to food sensitivities as as I'm going to move us into talking about some of your tips for knocking out sugar for you personally is fruit out is fruit a trigger for you? Like if you ate grapes, would you go crazy because of the, the rapidly assimilated sugar? No. Um, so what I think is interesting, I, I don't, how much about this literature but for me it was new um the whole idea of salicylates um like the yeah. yeah like there's certain a lot of people avoid fruit or certain types of fruit because it can cause a reaction and a lot of people that have um, a neurological disorder whether they be Tourette's or ADHD it, it just causes an adverse reaction I had no Again, we were very basic with how we started this, and it wasn't until I took this in my own hands that I figured out, oh, you know, there it could be specifically like you're saying, is it fruit because of, you know, it's, it can turn into sugar in the body. I, 
I was ignorant of that until <laughs> we figured that out. But um, fruit for me is not out. Um, I think the reason why it never has been is because I've always utilized fruit as fuel, um, especially as an endurance athlete. And, and I've really looked into that. However, what I've noticed, and there's a lot of science to back this up, is that as your day progresses, okay, so like think of it like this, right? You, your stomach, whenever you put fruit on it in the first, the first thing in the morning you have fruit, it is um, very cleansing to the body, right? Because it's super easy to digest. But as the day goes on, if we have, let's say you have eggs for breakfast and then you have a sandwich at lunch and then it's 3 p.m. and you want a snack and you have an apple, I've found that it does not assimilate well because it's trying to it, it that will burn up so quickly but everything else from the day is kind of compounded and it causes like gastrointestinal upset and so for me as I've grown I've learned to really just have fruit first thing in the morning um, and let my body do its thing cleanse kind of give my digestive system a rest and then from there um, wait until the next and and but the other thing too is that yeah you'll hear a lot of people say how fruit is okay it's sugar but it's different you know it, when we're talking like metabolic pathways and how it's processed and assimilated in your body your body reacts differently to the fruit those fruit than it does a even like added chemical fructose or like um, honey or maple syrup, even though those are naturally occurring, the compounds are different. So um, I do believe there's a time and a place for it for people that have issues with blood sugar instability, right? Glucose levels that are too high, diabetics or things like that. But for me personally, with Tourette, it never was an issue, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that there's a, I think there's a difference. Uh, well, actually, first I have to say this, that I think part of what you're saying goes back to the old school of there used to be little three-by-five business card things that we'd carry around that was for food combining. And it would mm-hmm. show how you would not want to combine certain things with other things because of ultimately gastrointestinal distress, but they never called it that. They forget what they called it. They just said, don't do that. Danger. Yeah. yeah. And so food fruit was one of those you wanted to eat kind of by itself and then maybe you know even though avocados are a fruit we never think of it that way you wanted to eat them over there and you wanted to eat the grapefruit over there and you wanted to have this over there Mm -hmm. is that i think there's a difference that people don't really talk about that much being an herbalist i always think about things as whole foods like I, i really want i want my herbal extracts to be whole extracts. I don't want it to be like, I'm not a fan of isolates. That's more of a cannabis type word, but I don't like isolates. I like whole foods. And I think that someday we'll look at the idea of, as you said, maple syrup, organic whole maple syrup has amazing amounts of micronutrients in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. the same thing that's true of, a, of an organic fruit, like organic grapes or an organic banana has sugars in it, but it also has an amazing amount of wonderful micronutrients from the soil. Mm-hmm. If it's organic, it's a whole amazing food. And that could be part of the, the lack of reaction is because it has other things in there that help balance out that sugar and right. kind of keep everything stabilized. Yes, you're still getting sugar, but you're getting with all these wonderful micronutrients, which are so underrated. That's, again, in my opinion. Piggyback off of that, you're right. You know, with, with eating the, the skin of fruit, it's like all the fiber which helps your digestion work properly. And I think that, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this time and time again, but I'm not going to diet in particular. Like sometimes they do, they can be very helpful. And keto is actually one of those that is really interesting. It's so hotly debated in the in neurological function and all of this, but it makes me so when we say don't eat fruit because it has sugar but then you know people tell me oh I don't eat or I don't eat um apples because of the sugar but then they're gonna have a cookie later I'm like what no (laughs) you're you're gonna make a choice don't don't exclude the one that is a one ingredient food that contains like you said all of these 
vital micronutrients, those vitamins, those minerals, those things that you, the antioxidants that you can't find in a lot of other foods. It's like fruit sometimes is the only place that you can get those things. So I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you. And yes, a whole other show. Food and cooking, someday we'll do a whole other show. Um, so now talk to us a bit about this this great book that I think is available somewhere from you, The Knockout Sugar, because it sounds more aggressive towards sugar. It sounds aggressive towards sugar, like, oh, knockout sugar, after we just got through having a conversation about how amazing fruit is as a nutritive. So yeah. talk to us about your your book, uh, The Five Tips to Knock Out, knock out Sugar. Because sure. that's really, well, it's a great, it, it's a great little book. Thank you. Yeah. So for me, sugar, it's the biggest thing. I think we're overly addicted to sugar. And by that, I mean, it's all the processed little introductions to sugar that we have throughout our day that we don't even realize. Right. And it, it's like from the one packet in your coffee in the morning or like um, the, even if they're natural occurring, I, and again, that's a whole other word we could get on. Um, but natural flavors added into a protein powder and it's like a sweetener that's been highly processed. Like this is the whole point of the reason why I did this because I'm not trying to be aggressive and say like, don't consume fruit like we just talked about. But, but the biggest thing is that sugar in and of itself, anything that's refined or processed is not an essential nutrient. Like, you know, we don't, we don't need it at all. And so, but by that, I mean, it's that it's so addictive and it's causing inflammation, which is one of the things that I link back to neurological problems that some people have is because sugar is in everything and we're not taught to look at our packaged foods to really do the homework. And we might, it might say, you know, on the front of a package, low in sugar, but in reality, what does that mean? You know, it's such a subjective thing to slow in sugar. And, and so for, for me, my goal is to help people um, combat those unnecessary cravings for the sweet tooth that won't satisfy, that will only be chaotic. And so the, the biggest thing, do you want me to kind of run through those five? Yes, please. Okay. So, yeah, so the biggest are um, – how you mentioned this earlier, Richard, that um, fat is essential. Like our brain is over 70% fat um, and we need fat to function. And so keeping healthy fat on hand and by healthy, again, that word is overused, but um, I say anything that is a fat that contains essential mineral, vitamins, um, even protein, and then fiber, having those in your day as a just a consistent staple will automatically allow you to start combating sugar because you're satiated so you're not constantly trying to fill that void um so that's the first one i always say um and and that's the other thing too when i was talking about fruit um really it's important to have fruit in our diets but um Unfortunately, there's so many adulterated forms of sweeteners and, and having, here's the thing, like so many people think that um, if I have too much fruit, I'm going to cause a problem. And, and really, yeah, you could, but as long as fruit, it, the, as long as you really just have a couple pieces a day and really kind of keep that in moderation, you'll be completely fine. So I kind of give tips on what that looks like in some of your best choices, you know, to choose that are, let's say, lower in sugar, but have tons of vitamins and minerals. And then um, I really tried to break down the next thing was the danger between um, all of the additives that are in our foods that are hiding as their sugar, they have, they go by different names, right? So it's like it ends in a tall or TOL or OSE, uh, things like that, like dextrose, like they are linked to causing the same response in the body as a processed sugar, like refined cane sugar. And, um, and then the last two tips, one is that I talk about what is actually safe 
be recommended in terms of what the body can handle. And again, this is a FDA regulated number, but um, really it shows you how much sugar we're actually consuming in our day-to-day subconsciously. And so by starting to just track that, you'll notice so many symptoms start to decline. And then the final one is um, talking about adding bitter foods into your diet. So now everyone's like, oh, fermented, such a new hot word, right? With <laughs> whether it be kombucha or sauerkraut, really the reason why we need bitter foods. And I know you know this as being a chef is that we have different spots on our tongue, right? That um, there's like the acidic and the sweet and the neutral and the bitter. And we actually, talking about our physiology, we need to satisfy those things because Bitter food allows your insulin to stay stabilized and controlled. And so I always say um, it really helps fight sugar if you start to introduce those fermented foods into your diet. So I hope that um, these are super helpful because they were kind of the, it helped me as I grew up not consuming sugar, but finding ways that I can still um, enjoy food without feeling deprived. Yeah. And I yeah. I love this this thing about um in the category of bitter foods. Also uh well I I have to jump aside for a moment and say also as an as an herbalist that there's a ter- there's a phrase called bitter tonics. Mm-hmm. And those are those are herbs that have long-term beneficial effect on the liver. Mm-hmm. Bitter. Let's say uh well in German in German food which is a high fat cuisine often they'll oftentimes start out with something that sounds fancy because it's called a digestive, but it's really a digestive. And it, it really is that it started out as a, as a, maybe a, it would be called an aperitif, a pre eating little shot glass or a fancy glass, depending upon how much you're paying for that. Usually it's in a fancy glass when it's really expensive, but it's a combination of herbs that really helps stimulate the liver to get ready to digest. Mm-hmm. And that, so there are herbs that are bitter tonics that really benefit the liver because the liver has a lot to do. Mm-hmm. It's like breaking everything down, everything down. So that and the fermented foods help support our microbiome back to the gut and brain connection, really having the gut be healthy. And then the one thing that you mentioned in that list that I wrote down, because I think it's such a sleeper, is sipping on apple cider vinegar. Good old dumb apple cider vinegar that's been mm-hmm. around forever. I mean, it's like the simplest thing in the world for people who have GERD or some other thing. If you start adding that ACV in on a regular basis, suddenly that's like, I'm not bloated. I feel better and I'm not so gassy. And I mean, it's an amazing tip. That was one of my yeah. favorites. Yeah, I know. The only thing that's funny to me with that one is most people that have start to they start to try to introduce it to their daily routine, try to take a shot glass of it, and I usually tell them do not do that. Put it in water because it's so it it, it burns when you do that, and, and so people never want to try it again. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. You can. Yeah, I've I've I will take a shot glass of apple cider vinegar, but I've been taking it for a long time. And also from making herbal concoctions for decades, I'm accustomed to things that are like, oh, my God, what is that? You're drinking <laughs> road tar? What? <laughs> so I have yeah. a more expanded palate of like, oh, yeah, that's really horrible. I know that, but I'm not freaking out. Um, but, yeah, apple cider vinegar is really wonderful. And I love – I really want a T-shirt uh, from your company that talks about the, you know, watch out for anything ending in O-S-E and T-O-L. I think that's such a great tip of just don't eat any of those. If you see it on if you see it on a box and or this is my view, just don't eat things out of boxes. Let's right. try that. Let's just not right. if you if anything's in a box, just set it down. Please back away from the center of the grocery store and go around the edges. Go to the produce <laughs> department. Go to the meat department. Just stay away from things that have OSE and TOL. That's so <laughs> that's so important. Um, yeah. Whether you're whether you're trying to you know in your case, you know for really it is as I as I said at the beginning, you really developed your life into being a sports nutritionist. 
I mean, right. it just seems like an obvious funnel in you as I read about your life and I watched some of your interviews on the uh, great uh, Kitchen Shift series. How do, I mean, I jumped to that. I didn't mean to, but since I mentioned it, I have to. It's such a great series. It's so informative for people to hear all that great information. Is that still available? Is that still around, the Kitchen yes. Shift series? Yes. So, yes, the Kitchen Shift series is definitely still available. That one and the one that I did prior, which is the Thrive with a Tick Disorder, which really that, the first one was with, like finding natural alternatives to Tourette Syndrome and then thrive in society and the kitchen shift series is essentially how to make a friendly lifestyle possible on the go and like you were saying how can I perhaps avoid packaged foods but still not feel overwhelmed and be a busy functioning adult professional with unique needs and that was the whole point uh, was to show people how to do that so yes they can absolutely get access people can still get access to that and where do they find out more about that? Well, actually, we're at the point where I ask you about where do they find out more about that? Where can they find the Knockout Sugar book? How do people work with you? All of those questions. Yes. Okay. So for people to work with me, let's start there because that's the easiest for me to always talk about. Um, is literally just my website. I believe there's a link to it where we're talking. I'm not 100% sure, but aviditysisters.com. Um, I'll spell it because no one ever knows how to spell that. A V I D it's V I D I T Y sisters.com. And we have a contact box there, but um, that is how you can reach out. And then the second part is um, the ebook, I believe for, there should be a link where people can click right now or get your free recipe ebook here, something like that while listening in. And then it'll just take them to a quick little page where they enter their name and email and they'll get that immediately for free that little ebook and then the final part is this is where i am still trying to get figured out um to make this more user friendly i know that you and i off air has issues with you trying to log in and and watch something so um, <laughs> but hmm. to get to the kitchen shift series it's um it's just google the kitchen shift series and it should populate um also it should direct you direct you to how to purchase it so the kitchen shift series.com um that's the easiest way to find it and do you work with people online or are you a, are you an in-person only coach sports coach so i so me personally i do majority of my business online um done a lot in person usually it'll be like used to do wellness consulting for corporations with coaching to where I would run and manage corporate wellness coaching programs in um, a variety of accounts in the state of Arizona um, and just that was all executed in person however with my sister and I starting our own business we do a majority is virtual we'll build out for we work with a company called um, Jabs Boxing Fitness for Women, and we built out their whole nutrition component to make it specific to um, women, so like female athletes. Um, but then we have a lot of private one-on-one -on -one coaching, so that way I can do it virtually and anywhere in the world. I have clients from all over, so for me that makes the most sense. But I, I kind of have been going more towards doing things in person, creating workshops and, and in-person experiences, because I truly believe that we need community. And I feel like the online world has taken us away from that. So I'm fighting my desire to stay at home, but <laughs> by creating that experience for all of us to come together and enjoy. So I hope that that makes sense, but yeah. That does. That's, a whole, mm -hmm. that's another show. That'll be show two. Um, yes. We'll talk about community at some point. The power of community. We're pack animals, people. Figure it out. <laughs> yes. um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you just got me <laughs> in the right mood for all of that. Um, <laughs> that was really great. Thank you so much, uh, Victoria. I knew it was going to be a fun conversation, and it really was. And I hope we didn't jump around too much for everybody listening, but the audience is kind of used to me jumping around. <laughs> it just <laughs> yeah. happens. 
Um, thank you so much. And really, stay away from the OSCs and the TOLs. That is my takeaway tip. Just write that down, OSE, O-S-E and TOL. Just don't do those. And you'll probably be surprised how much better you feel just doing that. <laughs> totally. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great rest of the weekend. And uh, as I say, we'll see you on Tuesday with Sherry doing the demo. Go to soundhealthoptions.com, and that'll be shown there. Thanks again, Victoria. Bye-bye. Thank you, Okay, bye-bye.